When you're a parent, you have two jobs. Keep your kids confidence and give them a bunch of people to look up to because one day they're not gonna call you. And that was something that I really am grateful for that I have a bunch of mentors that I can call on in my life for sure. Hero Rodriguez has spent a lifetime building mentoring relationships on both sides of the spectrum. Most notably, as the chief of staff at DocuSign, Hero was the right-hand man to CEO Keith Kroc, one of the foremost business executives in America. In this conversation, Hero describes many lessons he learned from Keith and other mentors in his life. Here's a great one you can look forward to. One of the greatest lessons that I had learned from Keith Kroc was there was an afternoon in July of, I think, 2017. We were walking through the garden. I said, hey, Keith, who's the greatest leader in your eyes? I thought he was going to say his mentor, who is John Chambers, the former longtime revered CEO of Cisco here in Silicon Valley. And he didn't. He goes, you know, ah, you'll have to listen for that one. This conversation is full of powerful quotes and valuable insights. Enjoy these lessons from Hero Rodriguez. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everyone. I am very excited to be here today with Hero Rodriguez. Hero is very near and dear to my heart as he was once a Cutco rep in my sales office in San Jose, California. Way back in 2005, uh, Hero came into our office and started work with the company. Uh, He was with Cutco uh, from 2005 to 2012 while in school at University of San Diego. And after graduating, was a manager in the Las Vegas area for a while. Uh, Ultimately landed at Salesforce, uh, one of the biggest companies that exist in America, was there for about two years, and then was recruited over by a former Cutco colleague into DocuSign. And Hero was part of DocuSign's uh, rocket-like ascent in the business world, seeing all of the growth there and uh, part of the IPO, worked closely with the CEO there. And now Hero is getting into something completely new, totally different, and extremely interesting. I'm going to let him tell you about that a little bit later on. Suffice it to say, I'm very excited for this guest. Hero, thanks for being here. Dan, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I just can't believe that after all these years, I'm so grateful that we've stayed in touch over the years here. 
<laughs> yeah, outstanding. Outstanding. Well, let's let's uh, go back to those early years and let's begin uh, the conversation by just talking a little bit about uh, your early days in Cutco, your first summer in San Jose, especially. I'd love to hear just what you remember about those times and what were some of the lessons that you gained in those early days? You know, it was so interesting because that was the first job I had after graduating from high school. And I had done a few other things that were the hourly jobs. And I remember two things in particular really stood out about Vector, which was one, I got to work with my high school friends. And that just made it really fun. Uh, And especially because we were all super competitive. So we all wanted to beat each other. But then the other thing was, I don't realizing that I didn't have to work the hourly and you know job and, and sort of have to do the math to figure out if I want to save up for this, I have to work this many hours. I just thought, oh my goodness, I walked out of a, an appointment and I convinced somebody you know, three times my age to spend over a thousand dollars. And I just thought, well, this is just the greatest job in the world. So that was a fun summer. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Hard work, but certainly, but it was fun. Yeah. And it was fun working with you and some of your former Bellarmine Bells, as I can remember. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how we ended up with like five or six of you guys that summer, but it sure was great having that crew there. So you went to University of San Diego and, you know, I've jokingly said that uh, of all the destinations for school, that's the location where uh, students tend to just stay there when they go there. So once you got down there, you stayed there, you integrated with the San Diego Vector organization, you kind of grew up there in the San Diego organization, and eventually uh, became a manager in Henderson, Nevada, as far as I can remember. What made you decide to get into management with the company? Well, you know, I think if I had to even go back a few years into when I was working with your office, you know, Dan, I think one of the biggest things that Factor gave me, I mean, that summer was fun and over the years was great. But I think what I realized was this is such a unique opportunity because what it taught me that had the value of a, of a personal education. I think maybe you or one of the other, you know, division managers at a conference said, Hey, you know, we spend so much of our life going through this formal education and yet we sometimes forget, especially later in our lives, the value of a personal education. And so I remember I was so grateful and I had a couple of wake up moments in the middle of college realizing, you know, I'm really grateful that I, someone told me the value of reading Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. I mean, now that I have a son, he goes to sleep sometimes listening to that audio book. I just don't know if I would have had that without Vector in my life. I've been grateful that I've had a lot of people and a lot of mentors and a lot of formal education, but the whole idea of actually focusing and, and bettering yourself was something not only I think was unique to, to Vector, but I also, I mean, Dan, I mean, publicly to thank you because you were a big part of that. You know, I think of, so, you know, I think of the positive, that was something that stuck with me. And I really, you know, wanted to share that with other people. That was Part of the reason why I wanted to step into management. It's funny, I have a, a license that I just had to discard because we just sold one of our cars, but the license plate said, always pause, always yes. positive. And so <laughs> that, that is very vector inside of me, deep inside of my soul. That is rooted back into my days with vector. And so to go into management and to be able to take that opportunity, I mean, 
Vector gave me a chance and I was just a college kid to do that. That was not something you see everywhere. But to say, man, I got so much out of this. I'd love to give this to somebody else. That was that was the big reason that I wanted yeah. to step up. Yeah. Yeah, that's great to hear. You know, for all the California people listening, they somebody can jump on that always pause <laughs> license plate. Now that, now that you are leaving the state of California, uh, that, that's going to become available. So that's cool. What were some other experiences during your Vector Cutco days that you would say were transformational in your, in your life or career? So I lived for the end of these push periods when we would go to summer conference one and summer conference two. And I mean, the late nights and we'd have meetings and you would do the key staff meetings and we'd get to learn about, you know, something unique. I mean, that was, it wasn't, Hey, we're going to tell you just about how to talk about the steel and the, 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 how to cut some fruit up. It was about, Hey, let me tell you about how to think about goals. I mean, I still vividly remember some of these lessons. I remember you showed us a rock climbing video and you talked about, you know, whenever you look at a goal and you look up to the top, if you look at it as if it's, you know, a mile up, it's going to be a lot more daunting. But if you look 10 feet ahead of you and say, I'm just going to get to that one spot and then I'm going to look to the next 10 feet and then I'm going to get to that spot. And once I'm there, I'm going to think about the next 10 feet. That has been a way that I've been able to break down my goals over the years. And then, you know, the other one, and I think even years after I had left your office, I remember reaching out to you, Dan, and saying, hey, Dan, do you have this talk? And you gave this talk that changed my life. And it was called The Power of Choice. I still have my notes uh, written down. And the whole idea was there were sort of five key elements. But the big one that stuck with me was you know, that, that you always have to make the harder choice. And I remember as a quote you gave, you know, you shared with the group, and I, in college, I mean, I can tell you that there are people who would look at me and say this to repeat it and said, success is defined as being faced with dozens of decisions every day and always making the tougher choice. Whether it was waking up and beating, you know, snoozing or waking up and going to your alarm, eating healthy food or eating unhealthy food, working out of the gym, do your homework. And so that talk, the power of choice, I mean, I was scrupulously taking notes during that conference and that stuck with me and it'll forever transform the way I think about goals and decisions in my life. That is awesome. Maybe I will do a solo podcast on the power of choice here in the near future. I think that's a, a cool idea. I, <laughs> just I, I would love that. But the particular quote you referenced, success being faced with dozens of decisions every single day, always making the tougher one, I credit that to a vector great named Tom Cannon. Mm -hmm. uh, that is where I first heard that. And I feel like that quote in many ways has inspired me and in many ways has like haunted me sometimes because it's hard to make that tougher choice. By definition, it's the tougher choice, right? right? It's easier to hit the snooze alarm and sleep a little bit later. It's easier to do, you know, the take the path of least resistance. But uh, certainly the value in life comes typically from making those tougher choices. And I know as your career has evolved, you've been able to do that. I love what you said about the mountain climber analogy. And this came from a great climber. His name was Todd Skinner. And Todd, he took his mountain climbing lessons to the real world and to even speaking at like Harvard in classes at Harvard. I have a video of him speaking in a class at Harvard. And he would talk about training on 10-foot boulders uh, that were the hardest 
10 feet that you could possibly create, you know, pass vertical or, you know, way too smooth and training on those 10 foot boulders. And the idea that if he could do that 10 feet, he could do any 10 feet. And that gave him confidence in climbing these incredible mountains that he could make it happen. And I think there's a great analogy or, or, or a metaphor for, you know, the goals that we set, right? And setting challenging goals and ending a push period and setting a goal at the end of a push period to finish strong helps us realize like, hey, we, we can do bigger things in our life after this as well. So I definitely feel like there's a lot of value to that. You know, these lessons and these metaphors that, that you would always certainly talk about during my time in your office you know, that right there is a great example that it, it's not, we're not just here to learn how to sell a product that happens to be knives. You were, you know, the lessons that someone, if you embrace them, which, you know, many of us do choose to do, that is, you know, a universal and a transferable skill set that, at least in my career, I've realized firsthand that really has been something I've been able to execute and think about and, and reflect on over the course of, you know, different companies that I've worked with. Yeah. For sure. I saw a Cutco alum post a video just in the last couple of days where she said, you know, I just created a push period at my company because oh, I want people awesome. to expand their horizons and realize like they're capable of more. And like, if we all go bust our, our butts for two weeks, we all realize like there's so much more as possible. I just thought it was cool that, you know, she took the push period concept to uh, another organization that wasn't even a sales company. It was just about like oh. working hard and getting extra stuff done in two weeks. So, uh, Anyway, it's pretty cool. Every company should do that. I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so once you decided to make the leap to move away from Cutco, you landed at Salesforce. And how'd you get into Salesforce? And, and what was it like working there? You know, it was a great opportunity. I knew that ultimately I, I wanted to end up back in the Bay Area. So I had the chance to run an office as a district manager in Las Vegas. That was great and a wonderful experience. Um, but I knew that ultimately I wanted to get a little bit closer to home and obviously technology and being a high tech was uh, great at the time. And around, you know, 2013 really was booming. And so, you know, I think maybe it was the Cutco in me, but certainly said, Hey, what is the ideal company to work for? And how can I go after that? And, you know, I started to chase a few different threads. Um, one of uh, old Cutco buddy, Bellamy guy too, Beta Yang, uh, introduced me to LinkedIn, and then I I found a, a buddy who worked from at Salesforce from USD, and they both prepped me and and fortunately interviewed well, and I got into this job, uh, direct into a closing opportunity, which was you know when you go from vector and you managing people, and then all of a sudden saying I'm gonna I'll be okay with going into being a an individual contributor. At first, it was a little humbling, but then you realize, oh, no, this is just a great opportunity because even though I loved managing the salespeople, I'm in a whole new world, but I sure as heck know that because of the amount of work I did as a factory manager, my work ethic, well, I will be sure to bring that to the table. Right. And so that was something that helped uh, with, with some of the early success at Salesforce. Wow. Cool. Now... I think I really want to spend a good amount of time talking about DocuSign because uh, this was truly the place that uh, has made your your career um, and been been really amazing. So you got recruited basically to to leave Salesforce and to come over to DocuSign uh, by another former Cutco person, uh, Mike Arietta. So how did that unfold? It was wild, you know, at Salesforce. 
it was this growing company, things are going well, you know, tons of opportunity. And, you know, Salesforce being as big as it is, you have, you know, there's, if you perform well, then there are a lot of opportunities. So I, by no means was looking. And one day I get a, a LinkedIn message from one of your guests on this podcast, Mike Cassetta, and he and I had gotten to know each other through management at Vector. And next thing you know, he goes, hey, Hero, you should meet this guy, Mike Arrieta. And of course, Mike Arrieta was this Silver Cup champion. I had never met him, but I sure knew who he was. And so I said, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, even if you're not looking for a job, I think it'd be great for two you know, up-and-coming guys to meet each other. Okay, great. So we met, and what I thought was just a hello turned into a formal interview, and I had to wake up real quick in the middle of this Friday afternoon meeting at the Hilton restaurant. And next thing you know, they brought me in for an opportunity to meet with Keith Kroc, who is the CEO, the chief revenue officer, the president, um, the CFO, head of sales. And so next thing you know, Mike Arrieta recruited me to leave Salesforce, which was a pretty tough decision considering I had a pretty comfortable gig for a company that was starting to become something, but it hadn't quite made the splash that it was at the time. And then, you know, if you fast forward multiple years, that one introduction and that one meeting at that hotel, I mean, that changed my life and it was just unbelievable. It's amazing how one connection can make such a compelling difference in, in someone's life. And, and I think it's a great reminder for people that every day as you're out there interacting with people, you're encountering people that can ultimately change your life, right? It, you created a good feeling with Michael Cassetta through your interactions with him. And I know he, you, you were both in Cutco, you both left Cutco. He was in San Francisco at that point with Square, right? And, but you had created a good enough relationship that he wanted to introduce you to Mike. He had a favorable impression of you. And so I just think about, you know, all of our reps and managers that are meeting so many different people every day, the importance of relationship building. Totally. Even from a customer perspective, a matter of fact, you know, there was uh, this, this startup that I'm advising and I was working with their head of sales. And it was interesting because there was a customer of mine who I had sort of stayed in touch with but he was a customer from my 2005 San Jose summer. And I sold him, uh, I think, an ultimate set. I think it was, I was proud of that one. That was a good one. But he and I sort of didn't keep in touch. And then years later, we reconnected. And he went on to become sort of the head of sales for a big SaaS company out here in San Jose called Exactly. Became the chief revenue officer for a company called Conga. And so as this team was building out sales, I said, hey, Steve, would you mind giving us some advice? That connection was truly started out as just a 18-year-old kid selling knives and has now transformed into this guy becoming an advisor and we're working together to help grow in a, another startup company. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So it's just a great, great thing for young entrepreneurs to hear, whether they're in Cutco or someplace else, just to hear about the power of the connections that we're establishing and, and how some of those can come to fruition you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. So. That's Absolutely. very powerful. Yeah. So you were introduced by Mike to DocuSign and tell us about that ride working at DocuSign. You were there through explosive growth. You were there through the IPO. Like, tell us about that ride. It was, you know, just a rocket ship. I think I've heard someone say, 
you know, someone offers you a seat on the rocket ship. You don't ask where you just get on that ship. So, <laughs> uh, okay. So for a while I contemplated and then I just said, let's do this. And so I was brought in originally to become the director of executive engagement. And so I worked directly with the CEO and Mike Arietta to focus on bridging the gap between our, a lot of mainly our enterprise sales cycles and our CEO, Keith Kropp. And so whenever Keith would have a meeting with Michael Dell or uh, Satya Nadella from Microsoft or Mark Benioff from Salesforce, I was the bridge between the sales organization and Keith to say, hey, Keith, here's exactly what to say. And I would be in those meetings with Keith. And so that in the early days gave me an opportunity to see, hey, this is, this is these, you know, this is how top influential CEOs talk to each other. I remember there was a, a meeting with the CEO of uh, the biggest technology company in the world called SAP, Bill McDermott. And Bill just looked at on the phone. They were on the phone. He goes, hey, Keith, well, we both have our briefs here from our team. So what are we supposed to say to each other? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so these, you know, they knew that they were in this, there was a team. And I was very fortunate to be part of that team to help shape the direction of the company. And so those are the early days. Fast forward a little bit. And eventually I was, uh, as Mike Arrieta was promoted to become the VP of Telco, I formally became the chief of staff to Keith. And becoming the chief of staff to a CEO of a company was really interesting because A, it gave me this very unique purview across all the different parts of the business, whether it was marketing, sales, operations, product, um, IT, as well as really seeing how an established entrepreneur, Silicon Valley icon like Keith, who had started a a company called Ariba that eventually became worth $40 billion and seeing the things that he executed, the strategic chess moves, as we like to call them to witness that firsthand was great. But then the greatest part of it all, in my opinion, was the personal relationship because after we had gone and taken the company public, you know, getting to spend a one-on-one time, sometimes it was just the car ride home where you would just be able to ask those questions and say, Hey, you know, here's what I'm thinking. I, you know, I just became a dad. Am I coddling my kid too much? And Keith never gets mad. And at that moment, he goes, Hero, you can never coddle your kid too much. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> oh, okay. And so those moments were great because that was made it fun as we were scaling this company from, as we call it, escape velocity to becoming a publicly traded market dominating company. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> What were some of the keys to the growth of DocuSign? Like, what did you observe there that people could learn as they're growing their business or they're working in a company and trying to help that company grow and become a, a market dominator? You know, one of the, the principles that we lived by, and I wasn't sure if I was going uh, to see at Salesforce, they hire amazing people. They have the luxury of being able to sort of turn down quite a few uh, people. And so I thought, oh, is DocuSign going to have amazing people? But what I found out was that one of the key tenants to the company, and this really stemmed from the CEO key, which was we always hire the best people, especially if they are better than us. And that really resonated because I realized as I got a chance to meet so many people that it wasn't this idea of, well, I'm not going to hire this person because they're going to be a threat to my existence in this company. It was I need them because they're going to make us that much better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hiring this amazing people, you know, it just, it, we always wanted to find those A plus candidates. And that, that was a big key to the success. I think with it was really, truly the, the people 
that helped grow it. That also forces the leader to grow because as a leader, right, you don't want to have people be, you know, you don't want to feel like you're, you don't have something to offer to the people that you're working with, right? You always want to feel like you have value to give to them and value to share. And that is why ongoing learning is so important. And I think, you know, for people who might be listening to this that have been in a specific role for 10 years or 15 years, I think the tendency is to stagnate and to feel like, oh, you know, I don't need to keep learning and growing. I I know it all at this point, but we never do, right? We never know it all. It's so important to continue learning and growing. Uh, One of the concepts that, I don't know, maybe you might've heard me share way back in the day is what I, what I would call the, the life grades concept. It's the idea that, you know, you all go through first grade when you're six and, you know, you eventually arrive at 12th grade when you're 17 or 18 and, or um, yeah, 17 or 18. And then you maybe go through 16th grade if you, you know, do four more years of college. But for most people, their learning stops right there. And, uh, you know, I certainly feel like I have passed through many, many, many grades of life beyond 16th grade that I finished in my formal education. I'm lopping off two, three grades a year, at least through my continued learning. And that's able to put me many years ahead of, or, you know, far ahead of other people who are my same age in terms of learning and self-development. And, and you've done that. And everybody that we expose and vector to that concept, uh, are likely to do that. And it, it's just such a critical idea as a leader. I think that's so true. You know, I, you, like I said, the early days, I think that was instilled in me because of the time in Vector. And so as a matter of fact, last year, you know, growing up, you know, and in high school, I was never the best reader. I was the sort of maybe read some cliff notes. And I remember, you know, I was talking to Keith and I said, Hey, you know, this upcoming year, you know, I'd like to sort of do some growing on, on my own side. And so I went out at the beginning of last year in 2018 to, to go on a journey of said, I'm going to read 50 books, which for me to read one book a month was enough, but to go out and say, I'm going to try to do 50. And sure enough, on December 23rd, right before the holidays, I had completed 50 books. And just to look back and to be able to take some of these lessons, whether it was reading this book mindset that people, have, if you haven't had a chance, I highly recommend it. Or as I wanted to become a better leader, I read the book Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. And so taking and extracting all of those lessons, I mean, you're right, Dan, that absolutely has been part of the, the personal growth and education journey. Uh, it's so interesting that you reference mindset. You probably remember John Wasserman, who is a legend in the Cutco business and yes. did the 50 book challenge a few years ago. It really inspired me about my own reading also. And I interviewed John uh, for this podcast just, uh, you know, not too long ago. And I asked out of the 50 books, like, what were the ones that stood out to you? And he said, number one, Mindset by Carol Dweck, uh, above all. And he said, like, you always hear people mention that book. And so uh, just the, for anybody listening to this that hasn't picked that up, I think that's a great one that people can pick up. And, and if the idea of reading Absolutely. 50 books and, you know, in one year is intimidating to you, then, then read 12, commit to one a month. If you read 12 books in a year, you will be so far ahead of of any of your peers. Most people aren't even going to read one book in the next one year. And if you read 12, like you're getting yourself way ahead. And if you can do 50, you will feel this uh, immense growth happening within you. All right, Hero, let's talk about Keith a little bit because I I find it very intriguing uh, to kind of get into the mind a little bit of someone like that. For anybody that, you know, 
isn't familiar with Keith Kroc, as you mentioned, you know, he's the founder of Ariba and Ariba became a multi-billion dollar corporation. And recently Keith was named the business leader of the year by Harvard Business School. He is right up there uh, in the pantheon of top American business leaders, top world business leaders. And you had a chance to be his right-hand person. Uh, for years right there at DocuSign. And I'd, I'd love just to gain a little bit of an insight into what it was like working with him specifically and what qualities he brought to the table as a leader. You know, there was having a chance to work with Keith. I realized that sometimes the, the higher they are, the nicer they are. So a good example of this is Keith's humility and the modesty. So Keith came from the Midwest, Rocky River, Ohio. He didn't come from money, but he sure, you know, worked hard and was fortunate enough to get a General Motors scholarship and then a fellowship to go to both Purdue and Harvard Business School. But what I always appreciated was that that humility was always forever instilled. And so he has a sign on his desk that says, there's no limit to how far a man can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. And that was something that he definitely lived by. There were times late at night, we would be strategizing and thinking about the next move that we were going to make as a company. And one of us would come up with it. And we would just, they go, you're a genius. And I go, no, 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 you're a genius. It goes, no, you're a genius. So go, oh, you're, that's the greatest idea ever. And it just it would, didn't matter who got the credit. Matter of fact, he always actually tried to give everybody else the credit, even though there were times it was very clearly his idea. But that modesty, that humility was great. And, and, you know, alongside with that came this real genuine honesty. So we had a, a playbook that we have executed and Keith has done at every single company. And there was the team rules. And rule number one always is direct, open, honest communication. I think, you know, Danny, you know, we, we live out here in Silicon Valley. We've seen quite a few different types of ways that people approach but Keith was always so true to that. It was direct, open, honest communication, especially as you're growing a starting a, a scaling company. You don't have time to play games and to sort of circle around the truth and play politics. It was let's hit it straight on. Let's have a direct, open, honest communication, and let's address this. Um, and so that was those are just a couple of the characteristics that really, really helped and made me appreciate having the opportunity to work direct by side. That's so valuable to hear. And, and it's a great insight for any business person. And when, when you think about this idea of direct, open, honest communication, this means that people need to be able to give critical feedback at times. And I think it's important to learn the ways of giving critical feedback that work, that are constructive. And also it means people need to learn to be able to receive critical feedback and value it. And this is one of the things that I've tried so hard to teach so many young people in Cutco. It's like when I was younger, like if somebody said something that they thought I could do better or they thought I did wrong, like my first reaction was like, well, who are you? And like, you know, what are you talking about? Like, screw you, you know? And the older I've gotten, the more I've become open to listening to people offering critical feedback, even when I don't like agree at first, like I just kind of take it in and say, thank you for sharing and, you know, consider it a little bit. Because sometimes you'll get insights from people that are 
you won't implement. You just don't agree with and won't ever implement. But when you keep the doors open to receiving feedback, eventually you'll get ideas from people that can literally be life-changing. And having that banter and that ability to have that go on in a company, in an organization, in a family, anywhere, uh, is so valuable. So I love that you shared that about Yeah. You know, that's how we used to always say diversity of thought is the catalyst to genius. And that's why I think Keith always appreciated working with folks that maybe didn't have a similar background. So I think maybe me as an example, you know, I didn't have maybe the experience, but I thought about it from a, a different, you know, different generations point of view. And I think he always appreciated that because, and then we had the trust. So certainly the trust was there for me to be able to call Keith out. Um, because also, you know, maybe not everybody is going to feel comfortable to just straight up tell your CEO, hey, dude, that's not a good idea. But we had the trust. And he appreciated that I think I looked at things differently. And so as we would grow this company, and over the years, we always appreciated and we would oftentimes seek people who had completely different experiences, had a different point of view. I mean, how do you grow when you're in an echo chamber, you know? And so we always, that was such a key line is that diversity of thought is the catalyst to genius. Mm. And we lived by that. Amazing. Amazing. You know, let's talk a little bit about the role of mentorship in your life. Cause I know this is something that, that uh, you've described as being a really important topic to you, mentorship, both for you, for others. Uh, t- tell me what comes to your mind when I bring this up. So I was just having a conversation with one of my buddies who I feel thankful that he considers me one of his mentors. And we were talking about the value of mentorship advisors. And I shared the story that one of the greatest lessons that I had learned from Keith Kroc was there was an afternoon in July of, I think, 2017. We were walking through the garden. I said, hey, Keith, who's the greatest leader in your eyes? I thought he was going to say his mentor, who is John Chambers, the former longtime revered CEO of Cisco here in Silicon Valley. And he didn't. He goes, you know, in my mind, it's not about having one ideal leader. He goes, it's what you call the hybrid leadership matrix. And so on one axis, if you're thinking about the y-axis going up and down, you have all these different characteristics, courage, ambition, kindness, humility, fidelity to principle, on and on and on. And then across that, with the x-axis, you have the different leaders that you look up to. And some of them you know personally, like you might have your father on there, your mother, on a boss, a, a manager, or you might have somebody that you've never met, like a Steve Jobs. And you go, well, from what I know, Steve Jobs is somebody that I aspire to think from an innovative perspective. He was very innovative. Oh, checkbox there. But from what I understand, maybe he wasn't the nicest, you know, softest manager. So I'll put an expert Steve Jobs on that one. <laughs> you sort of go through this chart and you say, oh, you know what? I want to be like Dan Cassetta when it comes to personal growth. That is the person. I want to be like him on that. And then for patience, okay, my dad has patience. For kindness, I want to be like, actually, my wife is really good. And so that was sort of the idea. And you get the best of both worlds. And so one of the greatest gifts that what he only not only taught me that principle, but through our adventures and going around the globe and taking DocuSign across the country, you know, I'm sorry, not just across the country, but to Japan and to Europe, I was having the opportunity to meet the CEO of NTT, the former CEO of Kimpton Hotels, General Stanley McChrystal from a four-star general. And so now to this day, you know, I have different people that I will call on and that I can ring up at any time and say, hey, you know, 
I'm struggling with this decision. Do you mind if, you know, can I, can I pick your brain? And so when it comes to potentially serving your country, I call General Stanley McChrystal. If I have a, an HR question, either if it's me personally or a company that I'm working with, I will call our DocuSign's former CHRO or how to go thinking about your career. I call the former CEO of Kimpton Hotels because I, I, his career progression was very unique. And so that being able to call on different people as opposed to only calling my dad or calling Keith Crack. Keith actually would never even want that. We always say, you know, when you're a parent, you have two jobs. Give your kids confidence and give them a bunch of people to look up to because one day they're not going to call you. And that was something that I really am grateful for that I have a bunch of mentors that I can call on in my life for sure. Yeah. Wow. That was amazing. I, I love the, just the two jobs of parents right there. Give your kids confidence and give them people they can look up to. Um, that was really good. This hybrid leadership matrix is really genius. It's a genius concept. I was literally just thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about identifying, you know, what are the 10 or 12 like most important qualities of leaders in our business and who is at the top in each of those categories and how could we showcase that? How could we capture that so somebody could develop the charisma of this person or the generosity of that person, you know, or whatever else are these, you know, most important qualities that we want to capture. And to think about that in terms of who you've met in life and who you've been around uh, is just a really great idea. And, and I love that. That was, that was really powerful. Well, I think even to the listeners of your podcast, Dan, I think of John Israel from for Gratitude. I think of Hel Elrod for perseverance and, and overcoming challenges. So I think even if they just looked at the, the podcast that you put together, they, they could even make their own hybrid leadership matrix just from some of the folks that you get to meet on this podcast here alone. Yeah, and I've really strived to have a diversity of guests on here that bring a whole bunch of different types of strengths and different places for yeah. that exact purpose. So, yeah. Well, so you're now about to get into something completely different. It's not DocuSign. It's not tech. It's not Silicon Valley. You're moving to Washington, D.C. Tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing and how in the world did this unfold for you? Yes, yeah, so I'm really excited. I'm humbled. I'm honored. I, I'm nervous. But I have the opportunity that on August 5th, my appointment to become the chief business officer for the U.S. State Department is uh, what's calling me out to Washington, D.C. So I will also be the senior advisor to the Undersecretary of State for Economic Growth, Energy, and the Environment, which happens to be Keith Kroc. Keith Kroc is in a Senate-confirmed role, and he thought, hey, Nero, we want to go ahead and talk about how you can come and add value to the State Department. And so, in short, my focus will be, how do we take this huge gap between the private sector and the public sector and decrease that bridge? And so, mm. by leveraging a lot of these relationships and sort of the understanding that that Keith and I bring as far as how the business world works is what's going to help us leverage the private sector to drive, you know, U.S. diplomacy forward. Um, and so that will be my contribution to our country in a, a little bit more of a, of a formal capacity. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, when I think about the gap between the private sector 
and the public sector. What comes to my mind is the idea that the private sector is about profit largely, right? It's, especially if you're dealing with public companies, they are, they're driven by shareholder value and bottom line profit. And then, you know, the, the public sector is about service and how can we serve as many people as possible and how can we impact as many people as possible and uplift people that need to be uplifted and right. these kinds of things. And what I think about is that if companies had what we might call a double bottom line, which is, you know, what are they earning? What's their profit, but also what's their societal impact and how can the company have a more positive societal impact? That to me is where companies should be able to aspire. And as you are working in the U.S. State Department, and if you are influencing, you know, heads of large corporations and their role in the world, to me, this is what, you know, kind of comes to mind is something that could be a part of a, of a, how you could impact people. I don't know if that dovetails at all with what you're actually doing, but uh, that was just a thought that came to my mind. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, you know, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, especially growing up in California, you know, I have a family and then a lot of people that might think one specific way. And it's interesting is that now going into Washington, D.C., where it can be rather polarizing and somewhat divisive. You know, one thing I'm really excited about is that Keith and I have always tried to sort of be, you know, apolitical. And so sort of saying, hey, you know, we just want to do a good job and add value to as, you know, as many people as we can. And so, you know, I think what will be interesting is, as sort of the chief business officer from the State Department, whether somebody is left, right, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, you know, we, we certainly want to help as many people um, as we can and, and sort of around the world, especially working with our allies and bringing in a positive impact, you know. We always say for any company that we're working with, and you have to have a noble cause. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's been interesting to see, you know, Cutco doing some of these, you know, specials, whether it's with Alzheimer's or breast cancer. And, you know, when there's a noble cause that people can rally around, for me, that was a very compelling reason to go serve my country because now it's not going to go build up a good company to go take it public and people to make wealth or whatever it's truly to go help transform people's lives and yeah. that was really a big calling here yeah well the podcast is about changing lives right and i'd love for you just to end up by sharing a little bit about how you how you want to do that how do you want to change people's lives in the future through your work and through your influence you know i think I've always said, you know, when we were working with different companies and such, the sort of the value and a, a mission of, of creating leaders was to not only op give them opportunities for professional, but also personal growth. And that really comes from our time together, you know, in the early days. And so that is perhaps the, the best way to do it. My aspiration in life, though, is, is to just be able to add as much of a positive influence to as many people as possible. You know, something that we've spent some time and I've thought about is that, man, you can have the greatest message in the world, but goodness, if you don't have an audience listening to that message, then it almost doesn't matter. And that's why I think things like this podcast are great because then you have so much to offer and now you get it out to the world. It's great. So if the State Department is one step closer to being able to add a positive influence to a lot more people than just my little bubble in Silicon Valley and, and some of the people that I know around the world, that is what I have to do. There's a big question mark as to what comes after 
<laughs> the chief officer of the state department, but I'm willing to just keep my head down. You know, I don't think I need to know what the next 10 years are going to look like. I just, like we said, I'm going to look for the next 10 feet and the next 10 feet, but I will sure as heck promise that the next 10 feet, I will work my tail off to make sure it is as successful as possible. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, when the when the signs come out that say "Hero 2032" <laughs> or uh, whatever it is, like uh, sign me up. <laughs> Bank is set for vice president, man. That's, I, don't, I don't know if I want to do elected office, but I sure know I just want to go and help a lot of people out in this country. That's for sure. Well, I admire that hero. I just feel like you've always been somebody that we could tell was destined for great things. Your spirit is amazing. You're such a genuine guy. You're always one of like the most well-liked, well-respected people, you know, in the circles that I've seen you in and I've been a part of. And uh, it's just been great knowing you and seeing you grow into uh, these amazing roles that you've played and this amazing role that you're going to play in uh, serving our country now. So kudos to you for all that. And thank you so much for your time here today and sharing with our audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dan. And thank you for seriously changing my life starting in 2005. I appreciate it. Wow. Awesome. That was Hero Rodriguez, everyone. I love where Hero talked about the power of choice. And that quote that uh, success is about being faced with dozens of decisions every day and always making the tougher one. Uh, there are so many choices that we have, uh, daily choices, and of course, much bigger choices. And typically, the easy expedient choice does not lead to any value, whereas the tougher ones do. Amazing where Hero talked about how one connection changed his life. And it just gets me thinking about our day-to-day -day interactions and the people we're meeting and are we bringing our best selves to every interaction. Interesting gaining insights into Keith Kroc, uh, the humility and modesty that he displayed as a leader and the concept of direct, open, honest communication. Ultimately, Hero said something like diversity of thought is the catalyst to genius. And I just want to get everyone thinking about, are you welcoming diversity of thought into your life or are you living in an echo chamber? One of the biggest issues or problems I see with today's society is the fact that people are embracing largely ideas, concepts, insights that are in agreement with you know, in alignment or agreement with what they have always thought and that there's, there's not an evolution of thought for most people. We live in an echo chamber. Our news feeds are full of people who agree with us and are promoting things that we believe in. And I think it's so important to see things from an alternative perspective as often as we can. And the idea of the hybrid leadership matrix was also very powerful and I would just encourage you for an exercise today, make a list of what you think are the most important qualities that you aspire to embody in your life. 10, 12 things, you know, maybe more, maybe less. What are those things that you want to embody in your life? And who do you think, who in your life embodies those things at the highest level? Each different one. 
not who demonstrates all of them because nobody's going to demonstrate all of them very well, but who demonstrates, you know, each individual quality at the highest level. Who's the most generous person that you know? Who's the most inspiring person that you know? And trying to figure out what it is about them that you can capture into your own life. It's a great insight. It'd be a great topic for a discussion at an event among peers and colleagues, something we can all learn from. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Hiroaki Steven Rodriguez. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.